Today's scripture is taken from Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. And a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Thanks, guys. Well, good morning, everybody. So we're entering into our Christmas season. I'm going to move this back a little bit. Oh, boy. So as we enter into our Christmas season, when you think about what Christmas is, what is the meaning of Christmas? Really what Christmas is, is the story about God making a way to live together with his people. It's the story of God making a way, doing whatever he has to do, whatever it takes, to live together with his people. And if you've been coming here for a while, you may have heard me say this before, that very often, if we don't have joy in our salvation, if we're not experiencing intimacy with God, if we're not experiencing peace and joy and, and fruits like that, it's often because our view of our relationship with God is that, or I'll say it this way, that the way to get that joy back in many cases is to remember that when you trust in Jesus, when we put our faith, we put our trust in Jesus, God doesn't just save us, he also adopts us. He doesn't just save us, he adopts us into his family, right? And like any good father, God wants to be with his children. He wants to live together with them. He wants to spend time with them. He wants to interact with them. And Christmas is the story of God making a way to do that. And if what we're going to be doing for the past, for the next three, four weeks, we're going to be looking at a few different parts of the Bible. And we're going to be looking at this story of God making a way to live with his people. And what we're going to see is kind of in three stages. Number one, what we're going to see is that in the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, that humanity experienced life together with God that human beings were living together with God. And it was awesome. But then we got kicked out because of our sin. And the second stage is that when you look at Exodus 25 through 40, which is, we've been in Exodus, and that's the point that we are in our journey through Exodus right now. When you look at Exodus 25 through 40, what you see is that in the tabernacle, this tent that God tells the people to put up in the middle of the Israelite camp at the foot of Mount Sinai. In the tabernacle, 
God is coming back and once again making a way to live with his people. And it's really good. But it's not quite as awesome as it was back in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2. And we'll see that finally, through Jesus, his first coming and then his second coming, that's how we get to fully experience what it means to live together with God our Father. And not only is it as good as the Garden of Eden, it's a lot better too. Okay, so that's where we're going. We're looking this week at the Garden of Eden. Next two weeks, we're talking about the tabernacle. And then on Christmas Eve, we're, we're looking at the incarnation of Jesus, that he dwells with us or he tabernacles with us is another way that that, that verb can be translated. So I want you to think about the Garden of Eden. I don't know if you've ever thought much about the Garden of Eden. Have you ever imagined what it would have been like to live in the Garden of Eden? Is that something you've ever thought about before? I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear the Garden of Eden, kind of what comes to my mind is like my dad's vegetable garden, right? And so I think, oh, you know, living in the Garden of Eden, living in the garden, I kind of think, and it's, a, you know, it's awesome, it's great for, for produce, but I don't know if I want to live there, you know? <laughs> um, I imagine kind of like, I'm sitting in the dirt with like the cage with the tomatoes growing on it, and then you've got like the, the cucumbers, and it's just kind of, uh, I don't know if I want to live there, right? And so I think when we think about the Garden of Eden, you know, maybe that's what comes to mind. Well, what comes to your mind? Well, let's imagine this together, because that's not what, that's not the picture that God is giving us in Genesis 1 and 2 when he talks about the Garden of Eden. Okay, imagine, okay, so, Try this with me, okay? Imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been in your life. Okay, what's the most beautiful place you've ever been in your entire life? The most, like, comfortable, most just, you look around, and you're like, man, this is awesome. I wanna, I wanna stay here. Maybe it's, maybe it's when you've been to a national park. Maybe it's a, a vacation house that you've been at. Maybe it's like at the, at the mountains or at the beach. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's your favorite spot at your house or the house that you grew up in. What's the most beautiful place? Maybe it's somewhere that you've traveled to in another country. What's the most beautiful place that you've ever been? Can, can you picture that? Can you hold that in your mind for a second? For, for me, when Lindsay and I were living in China, there was this retreat center that we went to. And it's in this area that's really, it's really hilly, really mountainous. And so you kind of wind up these roads, and you, like, you leave the town, and you wind up these roads, and when you get to the top of this, it's not a really big mountain, but it's a, it's a pretty good-sized mountain. You get to the top of it, and there's just these really high, tall trees, and this road kind of winding through it, and you finally get to the top, and there's kind of this, there's this cleared-off area, and there's this retreat center right there. And it's all made out of bamboo, like all that kind of wood. David Amon would love it. It's got that wood feel to it. Um, and it's got, um, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a hot spring is what it is. And I don't know if you've been to hot springs before, but there's, that's something they have a lot of in China. And so there's these pools that are kind of like hot tubs, but not like kind of the sketchy, you know, they're like the in-ground hot tubs, you know, different temperatures. It's a place you can relax and like all of the, the, all the walkways are like paved in stone and it's got, it's got really cool sculptures and it's really, it's kind of this perfect combination of it's, it's got lots of natural beauty, 
but it's also, it's also really livable. It's also a comfortable, a comfortable place to be. And so when I imagine the most beautiful place that I can think of, I imagine sitting there in that retreat center, you know, next to the, next to the pool, and there's like a lake. If you look down the hill, there's a lake down there. And if you look up, you see these snow-capped mountains that are kind of surrounding. That, that's the place I'm thinking of, okay? Do you have your place in your mind? Okay, so second of all, imagine the coolest tree that you've ever seen. What's the coolest tree that you've ever seen before? Okay, there's this, I'm um, on the campus at Southeastern Seminary, there's this, this tree that I like to, to sit under and study at. And it's, uh, I, I feel like I should know what type of tree it is. I, I don't know what type, I think it's a, I think it's an oak tree. I'm not 100% sure. But it's just got these branches. Some of you are probably gonna hear the description and tell me that's not an oak tree, that's a blank tree. Um, but so sitting under this tree, it's like, it's probably, I mean, it's at least, it's, it's higher than the ceiling is here, I would say, and about as wide as it is high. And just the branches are just kind of drooping out, so it's, there's enough space under it so you can stand up comfortably, but the branches on the sides kind of droop so much that they almost touch the ground. You've got shade, and it's really, really comfortable. Okay, what's the coolest tree? When I think of the coolest tree, that's what I think of. Maybe for you, it's a tree, again, a place you grew up with. Maybe it's like a, a redwood, or, or what's the coolest tree you can imagine? Okay, now imagine on that tree that your favorite fruit is right there. For me, it's mangoes and coconuts. Okay, mangoes and coconuts and cashews. I know cashews aren't a fruit, but I need a source of protein, and this is my imagination, so that's what's on the tree, okay? Um, so imagine your favorite fruit, and it's not, it's not overripe, it's just perfectly ripe. So whenever you're hungry, you can just kind of reach up and just kind of tug a little bit, and it comes right off, and it's just juicy, and it's delicious. Can you imagine this with me? That's what the Garden of Eden was like. It says in the description in Genesis 2 that it's this place that's just filled with jewels and has rivers running through it. And it's this beautiful garden, not a vegetable garden, but in like a, you get the beauty of nature, but a little bit under control type of way. And in the middle of the garden, in the middle of the garden, are two trees. There's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of life was this tree that had delicious fruit on it. You can eat from it. It nourishes you. It helps you be healthy. It gives you vitality. It gives you energy. Okay, that's what it was like in the Garden of Eden. Doesn't that sound cool? But the, the thing is, the best part of the Garden of Eden is not the fruit, it's not the tree, it's not the scenery. The best part of the Garden of Eden is that God's people got to be together with him in the garden. Okay, let's look at Genesis chapter one. We're gonna get to the passage that Neil and Sherry read, read in a second. Look with me in Genesis chapter one. You know, we spent a good amount of time in Genesis chapter one in our identity series when we looked at how God created us, how he designed us in his image, how he designed us male and female, but I wanna take a second and look at Genesis chapter one, kind of a different angle on it. Okay, I wanna look at what Adam and Eve's relationship with God is like in the Garden of Eden, okay? So look at this with me, because what we're gonna see, what we're gonna see is that when God, that humanity 
you know, so it says in Genesis, the end of Genesis chapter two, that they're naked and unashamed, right? Right, they're naked and unashamed. And we usually think about that as far as their relationship. You got a beautiful naked man, beautiful naked woman, this is awesome, and that's true. But the thing we miss sometimes is not only are they naked and unashamed before each other, they're also naked and unashamed before God. They're not hiding from God, they're not scared of God, they're not ashamed of God, they don't have any secrets from God. And what we see when we look at the description of God's conversation, the way God speaks in Genesis chapter one, look with me in in verse 26. What we're gonna see is that when God is speaking, he talks talks about the animals. He talks about the animals, but he talks with Adam and Eve. He talks about the animals, but he talks with Adam and Eve, okay? Okay. So in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then God said, and I'm gonna nerd out a little bit on, on some grammar, but look at the, if there's any English teachers here, you're gonna love this. Look at the pronouns. Look at the pronouns that God uses in this next verse. And then God said, behold, I have given you, and he's talking to the man and the woman, He's saying, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Okay, so I know that might seem a little nitpicky, but look at what's happening here. God is addressing Adam and Eve. He's using, he's using I and you. He's using you and me. The same type of terminology that we use when we talk to a friend, when we talk to our spouse, when we talk to a family member, right? They're having a conversation with God. And if you keep looking in Genesis one through three, what you see is that God not only talks with them, in Genesis three it says that he's walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. So this image that we get, God's walking in the garden, he's talking to his children, He's saying things to them, they're saying things to him, and there's no fear, there's no shame, there's just joy, and there's there's peace, and there's unity, right? But but it's interesting, God doesn't just turn around and say, and then to you, squirrel, I give blank, I give the nuts of, you know, he doesn't doesn't address the animals in in that same way. When he talks about in verse 30, he says, to the beasts of, of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Okay, so you see what he does there. He talks with the humans, says, hey, I've got this really cool food and there's the tree, but you know, don't eat that tree, eat this tree. And he's talking, he's having a conversation with them. But with the animals, he's saying, well, and let me tell you what I've given to the animals. He's still talking to the people. Do you get that? So I wonder, I really love Zach and Kelly's testimony a second ago. What do, what do you think about how they described these moments in their life where they're having a conversation with God? 
Did you catch that? Do you notice how they both said, you know, I'm feeling this way, I'm going through this thing, and I, I said something to God, and then God responded? Is that the way you experience God? Do you know that we can have an intimate relationship with God just like that? You know, just this week, I was, I was going through just different things, different stresses in life, um, like we all have. And yeah, I just had some, some times where I, I was just talking to God about how I was doing. I said, God, this is what I'm worried about. This is what, this is what I don't know what to do about. This is the problem that I can't you know, find a solution to. This is the thing that kind of makes me feel you know, embarrassed or that makes me feel angry or, or whatever. And I'm able to, to tell God those things and then he even responds to me, not with an audible voice, but by taking his word, by pointing me to different scriptures in the Bible, pointing me to different truths that apply to the different things that I'm going through. Do you realize we can have a conversation with God? I encourage you, if that sounds really foreign to you, just start telling God how you're doing. Don't make it a monologue, just tell God how you're doing. Tell him how you feel. Tell him what you're excited about. Tell him what you're upset about. Tell him how you're doing and ask him open-ended questions. Say, God, I don't know what to do. God, what should I do about this? And then listen to him. And maybe not right away, but God has promised us if we ask him for wisdom, he's gonna give it to us. He gives it to us through his word. He gives it to us through his Holy Spirit. But this is the intimate relationship that we can have with God. Okay, um, I, I wanna show you a diagram. I wanted to try to, uh, to help you visualize this. Is the diagram on the screen? There it is. So we, uh, as you can see, we commissioned a very well-known local artist to render this for us. Um, these will be on sale to the highest bidder afterwards. Um, but okay, so I, what, what happens in the passage that Neil and Sherry read at the beginning in Genesis 3, 22 through 24, what we see is that, okay, you see in this picture, we've got the, we got the land of Eden. You see that? Got the land of Eden. I don't know why I'm showing you this. You can look at yours. I'll look at mine. How about that? Um, we've got the, the land of Eden, and in the middle, you have the garden. In the middle is the garden of Eden. And what's in the middle of the garden of Eden? You have the two trees, and one of them is the tree of, the tree of life, and the other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens, what does God do after Adam and Eve sin? What does he do? It says that he, he doesn't have a conversation with them and say, hey guys, you know, that really hurt my feelings, and I just don't think this is gonna, no, it says he, it says he drives them out, okay? And, and specifically, in Genesis 3, 22, it's, he says, lest, lest man reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, he drives them out. So God is saying they've rebelled against me, they're sinning, so I can't let them continue to live here in my presence and go on in their sin. It's just gonna get worse and worse and worse, okay? So he says, I have to cut them off from the tree of life. And notice, and, and again, this is something that's not gonna make sense right now. We're gonna tie this back in next week, but it's really interesting that it, said, it tells them what direction 
You see that? It tells, them, it tells us what direction. It says that he drove man out and that the east of the Garden of Eden, so he drives them out through the east. You see the, the north, south, east, and west. He drives them out. There's the gate on the east. He drives them out in that direction. He kicks them out. And they can't, it's not just like a, you know, go to your room for five minutes and come back and tell me how sorry you are. It's not one of those things. It says he puts two cherubim. He says he puts cherubim guarding the gate of the Garden of Eden, which is the path to the tree of life. So you see what he's doing here. He's, he's kicking them out and he's saying, you're not allowed back in. And when we think cherubim, we think kind of fat little naked babies um, with wings and stuff. Again, that's kind of the same thing as like the tomatoes and the, that's, that's not the, the idea we're supposed to have here. A, a cherubim in that ancient culture was like a winged, it was a winged warrior. It was like this, this warrior that had wings that had sometimes the, the head of a human or like the head of a lion and then like the legs of a human. It's just it's really scary looking, intimidating warrior spiritual creature. And typically in that culture, the cherubim you would see depicted as guarding the throne room of the king, okay? So he kicks him out through the east side of the Garden of Eden. He places the cherubim, and he places the cherubim to keep him from getting back in, okay? So he kicks them out, and he makes sure that they stay out. So, and what you see, if you keep on going in Genesis, is man gets further and further away from God's presence, gets further and further away from God's presence. And really what the whole story of the Bible is, is how can we get back to how we had it in the garden? We're with God in this beautiful, wonderful place, full of abundance, full of life, naked and unashamed, not necessarily naked, but unashamed, (laughs) together with God in perfect peace, in perfect joy, experiencing perfect love. And we have this longing in our hearts to get back to that. Okay, I, I wanna tie this into Christmas real quick. How many of you know what I'm talking about if I refer, if I use the phrase, the Christmas blues? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? What are the Christmas blues? You know, we have this big buildup to Christmas. We have all these expectations. I mean, it's like for Christmas, we're just gathering together all of the best stuff in life, right? You've got your favorite people, You've got your favorite foods, you've got beautiful decorations, you've got presents, and it's just this thing that we look forward to, and, there's, and we, we, we have this hope that it's going to satisfy us, right? And for some of us, you know, Christmas is a painful time because it reminds us of brokenness in our families. Maybe we've lost loved ones. Maybe we've, we, maybe we have some dysfunction in our family. Maybe we've been estranged from some loved ones. Maybe we live very far away from some loved ones. Or maybe we have really good relationships with our families. But even after we get done with the food, when we have the presents, we have the parties, we enjoy that time, it just doesn't quite do it for us. It just doesn't quite satisfy that longing that we have that we were hoping it was gonna fill. Have you guys experienced this before? What I wanna encourage you to do, because again, like I said at the beginning, God, the, the story of the Bible is that God doesn't, when we trust in Jesus, he doesn't just save us, 
he adopts us into his family so that we can live together with him. What I want to encourage you to do over this Christmas season is to remember that. Okay, remember that you were created not just to kind of get your salvation ticket and then kind of go on your merry way. You were created to be with your father. You were created to be in God's presence with God's people. And so in those times, and I think we all experience these times, when it's great, when we have joy, when everything seems like it's going the right way, when we've got the food, we've got the music, we've got our friends, and we're just having a great time, recognize that for what it is. Okay, recognize that for what it is, that you're, we're experiencing just a, a, a little a little bit, just a tiny taste of how good it is to be in God's presence. And on the other hand, when we feel that loneliness, whether it's from family brokenness or family challenges or health difficulties or, or whatever it is, you know, what we typically do is we kind of turn on each other. We say, oh, you know, if you just, like if my, you know, husband or wife just understood me more or if, oh, man, if uncle so-and-so didn't bring up politics so Christmas dinner or, you know, um, if only we had more money, we could buy cooler presents. If only we live closer to family. If only this, if only that. If only this, then, you know, we would, then it would be better, All right? And the truth is, that you and I have a longing in our hearts. We have a longing in our hearts that even the best things on this earth, apart from God, can't satisfy. Even the best food with the best people in the best place, with the best presence, doesn't satisfy that longing that we have for God's, for God's presence. And so I encourage you, during this holiday season, when you experience that, to recognize that, that for what it is. This is, this is you, have, you, have, you have the Garden of Eden in your DNA. You were made to be there. You were made to be together with God in that type of a place. And at different points in our life, we experience that longing, which helps us appreciate what God has given us, and it also helps us to look forward to what's coming next. Okay? And what we're gonna see moving forward in the next few weeks is that in the tabernacle, God takes steps to restore that relationship. He takes steps once again to be together with his people, to let them experience the abundance that they had in the Garden of Eden and to let them experience the joy of his presence. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we just thank you for, we thank you for, for you. We thank you that you have come to, to live with us once again. And God, all of us in our hearts, we long for your presence. We long to be with you in a more intimate way, without sin, without any of the things that distract us. And we just look forward to that day when you're going to satisfy those longings. 
we're going to let us be together with you forever. And we pray that you would give us that joy, give us that hope in our hearts throughout this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.